Welcome to the RUF Berkeley podcast. RUF is a campus fellowship centered around experiencing and expressing the love of God to our campus, our classmates, and our community. For more information, check out our website at rufberkeley.com or find us on Instagram at rufberkeley. Hi, I'm Christine, and I'm going to read for tonight. Um, we're going to read Mark 1, 9 to 11, and then uh, John 6, 53 to 56. Baptism of Jesus. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending on him like the dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. Um, and then John 6, 53 to 56. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true blood, uh, true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. Well, welcome back. I think we just got maybe three more large groups, I think, off the top of my head. Um so we're getting close to the end. We are uh, getting into a really, one of my f- kind of favorite topics tonight, um, a real necessity for the Christian life. Uh, and as always, each week, I will preface it by saying I won't even begin to scratch the surface of it. So come to Coed Small Group with your questions and your confusion um, and your pushback, and we will talk more about it. So uh, here's a question for us to ponder uh, as we enter into tonight's lesson. What are a child's most basic needs? What are a child's most basic needs? Um, I would argue that they need to be cleaned. They need to be clothed. They need to be comforted, and they need to be fed. And I think that pretty much captures everything. Basically, anything that we would add could fall under one of those categories. Like, those are kind of big, broad umbrella categories. They need to be clothed, they need to be comforted, they need to be uh, fed, and they need to be cleaned. And I want you to keep that metaphor in mind tonight as we discuss the sacraments, and our union with Christ. What role do the sacraments play in our life with God, in our union with God? And the answer is that the sacraments supply the most basic needs for the children of God. They supply the most basic needs for the children of God. So through them, he clothes us. Through them, he cleans us. Through them, he comforts us, and through them, he feeds us. And I think that's a helpful way to understand the purpose of the sacraments in our lives, in our life with God. They are visual, tangible, and physical means of God's care for his children. Visible, tangible, and physical means of God's care for his children. Um. So here's where we're going to go this evening. First, uh, we're going to dive a bit deeper into what a sacrament is, 
not just kind of give a metaphor for it, but dive a bit deeper into what a sacrament is. Secondly, we're going to ask, what are the sacraments that Jesus gives us? Because not just anything is a sacrament. And then lastly, we're going to look at why they matter in the normal Christian life, why they matter in the day-to-day. And um, let me just encourage you, I think one reason why it's important for us to talk about this is because uh, the sacraments, if you have any experience in the church, if you've seen the sacraments, I don't want to say what they are just yet because that's one of my points, but most of you probably know what they are. If you don't, that's fine. But the sacraments are kind of this thing, I feel like that we kind of get into a trance-like um, rhythm or ritual with them, whereas we're, we're kind of, we don't really know what to do with them. We don't know how to think about them or really what they're for. So we have a couple of like maybe sentimental slogans about what they may be, but you know, in terms of the frequency in which we do them, when we do them, how important is it? What are they actually doing for us? We don't really know. I think most of us often find ourselves in that boat. So this is one reason why I just want to dive into this topic because The sacraments are not something that are separate from salvation or separate from your life with God, your union with Jesus. They are actually central to it. So we're going to look at that a bit tonight. Okay, so first, what is a sacrament? What is a sacrament? Um, I gave you a metaphor above, but let me see if I can be a bit more specific uh, for those of you that like definitions. Uh, Sacraments are visible signs of an invisible reality. Sacraments are visible signs of an invisible reality. Perhaps another way to think of it, uh, of sacraments, is that they are pictures of the gospel. Pictures of the gospel. And so here's what that means. Here's why we have gospel pictures Uh, in the Christian life. God knows that my faith, that your faith, if you're a Christian, he knows that our faith is weak. None of us have perfect faith. Whether you struggle with doubt or not is really kind of beside the point. Our faith can be weak um, in so many ways. It doesn't just have to be because we doubt the existence of God or doubt the assurance of our salvation. Um, We have weak faith because we're human. None of it's perfect. And so to remind us of the gospel to get the the gospel in our DNA and into our bones, God accommodates his care for us to attend to all of our senses. Okay, God accommodates his love for you to attend to all of your senses so that things are really firing for you when it comes to getting the gospel story in your bones, right? So it, it appeals to our senses, to our sight, to our smell, to our taste, to our touch, and to our healing, or to our eyes, to our nose, to our tongues, to our hands, and to our ears. God brings the gospel to each of our senses through the sacraments. Okay, so when you are in church, if you go to church, right? If you are in church, You not only hear the gospel preached with your ears, that's like one sense, right? You hear the gospel preached with the ears. Through the sacraments, you smell the gospel with your nose. 
and you hold the gospel with your hands and you taste the gospel with your tongue and you feel the gospel wash over you and you see the gospel pour over others and all of these visible signs these gospel pictures are meant to connect you by the spirit to the life of God your very walk with God depends mightily upon the sacraments the normal means of grace the normal means by which you commune with God. These sacraments are meant to connect you by the Spirit, by the Holy Spirit, to the life of God. These are visible signs, tangible signs, physical signs that draw you near to an invisible spiritual reality. Okay, so there's always limitations with illustrations. Right, but think of it this way. This is perhaps one helpful way to think of it. What is a, what is a, a wedding ring? Okay, what what's a, a wedding ring? Um, the old school language that used to be used uh, at weddings that was said at weddings was with this ring, I thee wed. With this ring, I thee wed. Now the ring, this thing right here, my wedding ring. The ring is not the marriage. The ring is not the marriage. The ring is a physical, visual, beautiful reminder that I am my beloved's and that my beloved is mine, that we belong to each other. Okay, and so when when I see my ring, when I look down at my hand and I see my ring, I sink my heels into what is signified by that ring. What that visually represents, and that's namely that I am covenantally bound and united to my wife, Holly. I am bound to Holly. And likewise, when others see that ring, like when when undoubtedly folks are starstruck by Holly's good looks, and then they see the ring on her finger, they know that she has set her affections on somebody else. She belongs to her beloved, the one whom she loves. That's what the ring signifies. The ring is a visible sign of a mysterious and and, and kind of an invisible, in some sense, reality that we are married. That's what the ring signifies. Okay? Sacraments are visible signs of an invisible reality. That's what a sacrament is, a visible sign that we partake in of an invisible reality. It's a gospel picture of God's love that has been accommodated to our senses. And it's not just um, pretend either. By the faith and through the Spirit, they actually do things to us, right? So that's the first thing, what a sacrament is. Secondly, what are the sacraments that Jesus gives us? What are the sacraments that Jesus gives us? Um, I can't just pick anything in the world to be a sacrament, right? This is why Christianity is not pantheism. Uh, I can't pick up a rock and say, you know what? Like God is in all things. So I'm going to like hug this rock and like rub it on my cheek. And I'm going to get really close and tight with God. 
Of course, God's creation tells us something about God. Of course, we can sense God's presence in his creation. But they're not uniquely ordained in the way that a sacrament is to bring you into communion with God, right? A sacrament has got to be ordained by God. God has to give it to us. So think of it this way. This is probably the best example that, that you can come up with. And there's no limitation to this illustration. Jesus, right? Think about Jesus in the incarnation. Jesus is the physical picture of the gospel par excellence. Jesus, right? The gospel incarnate. The gospel put on flesh. God having accommodated himself to us and walked among us like us in every way, yet without sin. And so as such, Jesus in flesh, right? The perfect physical picture of the gospel, the gospel himself. Jesus is our savior. He is God's ordained physical means of salvation. He is our king. He is our good shepherd. He is our friend. He is our high priest. He is our prophet. And on and on and on we could go. You can't just pick any old person to be your savior. You've got to go to Jesus. Jesus is the savior. Jesus is the gospel. Right? So likewise, with the sacraments, you got to go to what Jesus gives us. You got to go to what Jesus gives us. The physical means that he has ordained to bring the gospel into our heads and into our hearts and into our hands. And there are two sacraments that he gives us. Two sacraments that he gives us. Baptism and the Lord's Supper or communion or the Eucharist, other other names for it. Baptism and the Lord's Supper. So let's let's start with baptism. Okay, what is baptism? What is this weird thing that you see happen occasionally at church where people are either dunked in water or water sprinkled on top of them? Sometimes they're older, sometimes they're little babies. Like, what is this thing? Okay, baptism is a visible sign through the washing with water that signifies the death of your sin and your life as a son or daughter of God. Baptism is a visible sign through the washing with water that signifies the death of your sin and your life as a son or daughter of God. So let's look at our passage in Mark. Um, Mark chapter 1, 9 through 11. I'm going to read it again for us. This is the account of Jesus's baptism, which I, I might add, if if Jesus got baptized, then maybe we should get baptized, but that's a different point. Verse 9, in those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. Now, I I use this passage uh, to highlight one thing. Just like Jesus, right? Just like Jesus. Think of your union, right, with Jesus. You're united to him. Just like Jesus, your baptism marks your membership into the family of God. Your baptism marks your membership into the family of God. 
you have been washed clean. The old you is dead and the new you is alive in Jesus. And because of that, you are now a son or daughter of God and he is well pleased with you in Jesus. Because of your baptism, you know that God is pleased with you. No doubts. In the same way that Jesus, when he was baptized, God says, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Right? Um, So let's go back to our opening illustration. Right? One of our most basic needs as people who have wandered astray from God, uh, who are rolling around with pigs like the prodigal son in Luke 15, one of our most basic needs is to be washed clean. We need to be cleaned. And baptism is the visible sign of an invisible reality that in Christ, you have been washed clean. United to Jesus, you have been washed clean. And your baptism is a visible reminder that nothing is more true of you than that. You are clean and a child of God. Baptism is a visible reminder that nothing is more true of you than that. God's words to Jesus are his words to you. He's pleased with you because you're his child. So that's baptism. Right, what about the Lord's Supper? Right, baptism is a a visible sign through the washing with water that signifies our death, uh, the death of our sin and our life as a son or daughter of God. It marks our membership into the family of God. It is like the badge, the, you know, whatever you want to call it, the credentials, like you are a child of God. That's what your baptism says. It is the promise uh, it is the mark of the promise of God. And when you have that mark, it is true of you. So what about the Lord's Supper? Right? What is the Lord's Supper? Well, in the most basic terms, the Lord's Supper, right, the bread and wine that you see uh, in a church service, is the meal that we eat to ingest all the nutrients of Christ. The Lord's Supper is the meal that we eat in my opinion, we should do it every Sunday, is a meal that we eat to ingest all the nutrients of Christ. It is Jesus himself that we feast on. Now, it sounds kind of strange, and that's why I kind of use this this, uh, shocking passage in the Gospel of John. Let's read it again. This is John chapter 6, verse 53 through uh, 56. Listen to what Jesus says. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. You pick up on the union language there. So Jesus is saying in very clear terms that life is found feasting on him, 
verse 53, like it's our sustenance. Life is found feasting on him, and by feasting on him, we abide in him, verse 55. So it's the means by which we continue and practice our abiding and our union with Christ through taking the Lord's Supper. Now, um, we aren't cannibals. And funny enough, in the early church, Christians were often accused of cannibalism because they would say things like, you know, eat his flesh and drink his blood, right? And so folks are like, I'm not going to dinner at that guy's house. But we're not cannibals. We don't eat people. Christians don't eat people, okay? If you learn one thing from tonight, know that. Christians don't eat people. Um, But I do want this to stretch your imagination, as the sacrament should. The thing that I love about the sacraments is like we live in this disenchanted world, right, where everything that is true, the only thing that can be true is the thing that you see with your eyes. Right, you got to see it, or it's not true. But sacraments take your eyes beyond what is seen to what is unseen, to an invisible reality that's even truer, according to the Bible, of the visible reality. It captures your imagination in this sense. And so, I wanted to use this passage to stretch your imaginations because Jesus is not saying, "Like, I want you to actually eat me," but He is saying, "I want you to eat me." It stretches our imagination. So what Jesus is saying and what the rest of the New Testament unpacks here is that when we take the Lord's Supper, Christ is really spiritually present in the bread and the wine. And by faith, and only by faith, which is to say only Christians, when we take the supper, we are eating and drinking the bread and wine of life. When you take the supper, you are eating and drinking the bread and wine of life. So by faith, when you go to the table and you take the elements, by faith, you eat the elements. And by faith, through the Spirit, you are lifted up and you are feasting on Christ himself. Now, this probably sounds strange, right? As we've already kind of noted, but I want you to think about how basic this is. The basic need that God is attending to. Right? As children, as God's children, we need food. As children, we need food. And we don't need processed food packed with preservatives. We need real, organic, life-giving, nutrient-rich food. And so what is more nutrient-dense than Christ himself? And God gives us himself at the table. I find this fascinating because... It's fascinating that Jesus doesn't just settle with giving us instructions on how to follow him or how to love him. He actually, he gives us these sacraments. He gives us the Lord's Supper. And so he was ahead of his time in many ways, realizing that what you eat dictates your affections. Think of comfort food, right? We eat what we love. We eat things to make us feel a certain way. Well, at least I do. Like, after after large group, go home, watch Netflix, eat a bunch of powdered donuts to feel better about myself, you know? Like, we eat comfort food. We eat what we love. So listen to this line from this book that I read recently. I love this connection. Contemporary science is starting to catch up to this ancient biblical wisdom about the human person. Scholars at UCLA and McMaster University have been conducting experiments that are shedding light on our, quote, gut feelings. 
Their studies point to the way microbes in our stomachs affect the neural activity of the brain. Your brain, quote, your brain is not just another organ, they report. Quote, it's affected by what goes on in the rest of your body. In fact, Scientific American reports that there is a, quote, an often overlooked network of neurons lining our guts that is so extensive, some scientists have nicknamed it our second brain. No wonder Jesus invites us to follow him by eating and drinking. Discipleship doesn't just touch our head or even just our heart. It reaches into our gut, our splachna, our affections. Splachna is like the Greek word for like the the heart or the the seat of the soul or something, I think. But then it reaches into our gut, right? Into our affections. And that the the visual imagery there is that Jesus is just all up in you. Right? You are eating him and you are clothed in him. Like the baptism, there's clothing imagery, right? When you read certain uh, passages of Paul, like you put on Christ in baptism. We are clothed and we eat, we're comforted. So the Lord's Supper, again, is a visible sign of an invisible reality that in him we are nourished by him for all that we need in this life because he is the bread of life. Okay. So that's baptism and that's the Lord's Supper. I want to spend just a couple seconds here talking about why do the sacraments matter in the normal Christian life? Maybe the main thing that I want to point out, uh, a couple of things really, but I'll start with this. One reason is because they are concrete reminders of who you are and who you will be. They are concrete reminders of who you are and who you will be. So in baptism, you have the promise, right? The sacraments are the promise and the power. Baptism, you have the promise that in Jesus, you are clean. So think about the story that you tell yourself. How often do you not believe that about yourself? Because of the things that you've done this week or last night or will do this coming week. That you're not really clean. That you have thoughts and feelings and uh, desires that just don't, they just feel off and dirty or whatever it may be. We feel that stuff all the time. Like shame, we are so good at shame. We don't have to be taught to feel shame. It's in us. And so when, when God accommodates his love to us in our union with Christ through the sacraments, what does Jesus tell us, right? He says, look to your baptism. Look to that. Look to your baptism. You are clean. And what does that mean, right? When you are baptized, baptism and membership into the body, into the family of God, it's two sides of the same coin. Right? When you are baptized, it marks your membership into the family of God. And what does God say to members of his family? With you, I am well pleased. This is a concrete reminder of that, that no matter what you have done, what you are thinking, where your mental health is at, what others are saying about you, whatever success and failure you may have in school or in your career or in your family, you look to your baptism and you say, I'm clean. I'm a child of God and he is pleased with me. Not only do you look to your baptism, 
but there's great old language in the Westminster Larger Catechism that you improve upon your baptism, which is to say, when you're when you go to church and someone else is baptized, their concrete reminder is now your concrete reminder as well. Because you see the promise of God coming to fruition in their life, and it brings you to your baptism in your life and all the benefits that come from that baptism, and it rings true. Improve upon your baptism. It's a concrete reminder of the promise of God and its truthfulness in your life, right? And so, um, yeah, last you know, little note I have here on baptism is that it's a landmark. You know, basically is what I've been saying. It's a landmark in your life. It's a sign that signifies a story that is truer than any story that you tell yourself. It's the title of your book. And God wrote the title. And you're, you know, in, in one sense, the main character of that book, not in the narcissistic sense. So don't hear what I'm not saying there. But the title of your book is Baptized. Right, so the Lord's Supper, right? Baptism as the power, right? The Lord's Supper, or sorry, baptism as the promise, the Lord's Supper as the power. We are obsessed as a culture and a society with exercise and nutrition, especially in the Bay Area. There's apps, there are a million different franchised options from core power to, to what's, what, Soul Cycle to Orange Theory to, um, What's the other hit stuff? What's the main one that's been going on forever that I'm not even thinking of right now? Peloton. Peloton. Yeah, these are all great. Um, this is a really obvious one that I'm blanking on. I'm not going to move forward until I get this. CrossFit. Right. CrossFit. Um, I would suggest running. I now can say that I am a runner. I, I don't feel guilty saying that. I've been running for a year now. I'm a runner. Anyways, uh, we're obsessed with exercise and nutrition. And so just think about this. Is it any wonder that God holds a feast for us? Is it any wonder that God is concerned with our diet? Is it any wonder that he provides a weekly meal for us? I don't think so. Because it's our most basic need. We need to be fit and healthy. And so God gives us a meal. And he invites us to a table, right? So what about some advice for you the next time that you take communion again? I mean, I don't know how else to say this other than as you go up to take the elements, if you're a Christian, know that you are feasting on Christ himself. Pray before you go up and say, Lord, will you, will you give my faith the imagination it needs to see and savor you in my palate? I mean, I... I really am not liking communion these days with these horrible little cup things. They're they're terrible. I've thought about bringing a flask and my own loaf of bread into these communion services and taking a huge, like, as my granddad would say, slug of wine. So you just get the chills, you know, just feel it, you know, and then a big, like, sappy mouthful of bread. Like, ask God to make those visible signs, like nutrient-rich, gospel-empowering fuel for your life, because that's what it is. That is what it is. And the good news is, is the strength or the weakness of your faith doesn't matter. It doesn't, uh, doesn't affect the efficacy of the sacrament itself. Little faith, weak faith, crawling faith, feeble faith, strong faith. Um, Jesus is the bread of life no matter what. But pray for that when you take communion again. 
when you are starving spiritually, when you've done things that you thought you'd never do, when you've had a weekend of sin sprinkled like donuts, a bender of donuts full of sin. I should use a different metaphor because donuts are so good. There's nothing sinful about a donut, but you get my point. Uh, You need to know, and maybe I want you to hear this more than anything else, you need to know that this table is meant precisely for you. This is good food. This is comfort food. This is soul food. It's food for your life in God. And so when, when you feel like you are flatlined spiritually, when you have no life spiritually, the table is exactly where you belong. That's where you get that's where you get the the heartbeat again. That's where we see signs of life because you're feeding on the life of Jesus. So there's a lot more we could say. Again, I encourage you to come out to Coed Small Group with your questions. Um, there's a lot I did not hit on, but I will leave you with this: Th- this is the sustenance of your union with Jesus. These are the physical means. The, the these are. This is God's love accommodated for you to get the gospel into you by tasting it, seeing it, touching it, hearing it, and smelling it. Let me pray for us. Um, Father, we are grateful for this night, and um, many of us are tired and are near the end of this semester, and so we are looking for energy to do the work that you have before us, and so... We pray that um, your sacraments um, would even be fuel for that. Even though we are not meeting in person for worship um, due to the pandemic, we do pray that your spirit would still fuel us and would lift us up and give us strength. We thank you that your love um, has no bounds, that it doesn't just stay removed and um, detached and it just yells truth to us, but it actually... You take your love and you put flesh on it and you send it down to us so that we can interact with it. You accommodate your love to us so that we can fix our love on you and fix our gaze on you. We ask that you would make these truths um, more beautiful and believable than anything else um, that vies for our appetite, that vies... Um, for our um, cleanliness, things that offer themselves as cleaning agents or as good food. We pray that these truths that we've heard tonight would capture our hearts and our imaginations and that we would lean into those. We ask these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Amen.